You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As it said at the start, this is Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, 24-7 Sports. Start out apologizing for the lack of a podcast yesterday as I was doing all the draft content over 24-7 Sports. For those who have not gone over there, I reviewed every pick on day one, all 78 of them. I did my round three mock, which uh, I don't think I got any right in last year. I got one, and I had a best available. I will try to get a best available out before the draft tomorrow. I don't know if that is going to happen, but with the draft going on, that is my primary focus. So that's uh, that's where I've been. Uh, we'll start out today's show. We'll go over the, the games day, just point out some statistical facts, a uh, real short first segment, and then the second half we'll just go right into the Indians pick by pick. I already wrote capsules on all these guys. I already can give you a basic rundown on all of these guys. So, uh, without further ado, uh, we'll go into the first game. As always, I want to remind you to just subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, the Himalaya app. All of that is great and helpful. Thank you. So the Indians beat the Twins today, which is big because the Twins have been the best team in baseball. Shane Bieber was, uh, he's been very home run prone of late. He gave up two home runs, uh, both solo shots. Not ideal. Uh, control's been there. Um, if he keeps giving up home runs at the rate he's going at, he's going to become a plush. Plush? He's not going to become a plush. Become a plus version of Josh Tomlin. Tomlin never really missed bats. When Tomlin was at his best, when he had that like year where he was a solid pitcher, all of his strikeout rate jumped. Bieber can miss bats. He's not gonna. Neither of them walk anyone. So, um, if the home run rate continues to say high, he's going to be just a plus version of Tomlin, which is a pretty good pitcher, as we saw when Tomlin was uh, cruising through. Uh, Oliver Perez, another solid outing. Brad Hand, utterly dynamite. His ERA is being very close to being under one. So, uh, people are probably screaming at their. Podcast, I hope you not talked about Lindor's game already. Two home runs and a double, uh, plus a walk. I mean, he did it all. He has now 10 home runs. He is tied with Santana for the team lead. Roberto Perez at eight, I believe, would be second on the team behind those two. And then Jake Bowers was six. So they really got out there and hammered the baseball. But at the same time, they had four home runs and only managed four home runs and a double and only managed five runs. The reason for this was Mercado didn't do anything. Santana did very little. Luplo did very little. Jose Ramirez, nothing. Kipnis, nothing. And then the two solo shots by Perez and Bowers and Martin, basically nothing. He did get a run across. Um, it was Lindor, Car- Lindor and Bieber pretty much carried the team to the win. It was nice to see uh, Kipnis move down in the lineup. He needs to move further, especially against a left-hander. Like... Even when Jason Kipnis was an all-star, he was awful against lefties. Uh, Roberto Perez has been quite good against lefties. Perez really at this point should be hitting fifth when there's a left-hander. Ramirez six. If you want to keep Kipnis seven, whatever. But uh, they need to to kind of figure that out and move it up. On the other side of things, how about the fact that uh, one of the home runs that Bieber gave up to, uh, to Eddie Rosario was his 18th home run of the year. If you combine the Indians' two leading home run hitters, they give you 20. So it's, uh, and that's not to knock Lindor, who's been fantastic since he came back and getting better every week. 
It's not Zach Santana, who probably should be the all-star representative at first base. It's just stating a fact. The win takes the Indians back to 500, which uh, they had not been. The Twins are currently 21 games over 500. That's just their 19th loss of the year. Now, as I mentioned, I'm not going to spend as much time on our first segment. We're going to save a lot of time for the back half. So I want to thank our sponsors today right now here at the start. Our first sponsor is Hotels.com. I've told you I use them and I can recommend them. It's a service model where if the customer isn't happy, they don't use the site and Hotels.com goes out of business. It is a customer-based model. They're going to cut down on your hassle and they're going to cut down on the cost. Hotels.com, I use it. Trust me, it's solid. The Our other one is BlueChew.com. Uh, I've been seeing more and more ads for Blue Chew. They're really uh, aggressively pushing their product, which shows it works, right? If they have the money to be advertising as heavily as they are, it must be a product that works. It is the only chewable little boo pill. It has the same active ingredients as the ones that you know well. Uh, since it is chewable, what I read was that it can get to your bloodstream quicker, so when you want to go, it helps you get there quicker. If you've ever been curious to try, here's your chance. You go to bluechew.com and you use the promo code MLB. You get a free order. You just have to pay the five bucks in shipping. They can't take a loss on the shipping. It's you know they're being fair here. So if you've ever been curious, if you need a little help, here's your chance. BlueChew.com promo code MLB. Draft. Of course, I'm gonna go heavy on draft. Uh, I didn't talk about yesterday. The Indians had just two picks yesterday. What would have been their third pick? The uh, Seattle Mariners received in the Edwin Encarnacion, Carlos Santana, that whole big three teamer. Uh, that pick ended up turning into Isaiah Campbell. I thought that was a really good selection by the Mariners. The Mariners went crazy pitching heavy. Uh, a lot of things pretty went, pretty much went by chalk. Um, for the second year in a row, I was able to correctly predict who the uh, Chicago White Sox were going to draft in September. Uh, it's back-to-back years I've done that. I know who the White Sox are drafting before their front office knows who they're drafting. That's uh, That's how much I have them figured out. Uh, I got the first eight picks right, and then uh, at the ninth pick, I was told someone was going there uh, by someone who would know. It didn't occur, and things kind of went off the rails. I think I ended up with 10 right in the first round. But what I thought was really cool was the fact that of the first 20 picks, 18 of the first 20 picks were players I rated in my top 20. So my talent evaluation lined up with the majority of teams, it seemed. I had a really even breakdown. Uh, by the time we got to somewhere through the second round, it was like there was just two guys left on my top 30. Uh, I was very much, uh, you know, there were some uh, players that uh, I was much higher on. Uh, some examples, Dominic Canzone uh, from Ohio State, he just hits. You know, you look at the tools and you go, there aren't any. He's average at best as a runner. The power, the guys, you know, way for thin. He did hit 15 home runs this year, and that Ohio State Park is not a power-friendly park. Uh, but he hits. He knows how to get up there. He knows how to make contact. He's one of those guys who is more than the sum of his parts. Uh, Jack Kenley was another one I was super high on. He was basically a backup for his first two years. Finally got a chance to start this year at Arkansas. Steps into the SEC, which is a you know really rough conference. Walks more than he strikes out, I want to say. I know he was hitting well over 300. His OPS was over 1,000. Uh hit for he did everything uh, i gave him the 61st rank and he promptly went in the six rounds of the tigers so you know maybe my evaluations aren't always quite on 
But enough about me, the Indians. Seeing it started off with Daniel Espino. Interesting pick. Uh, he's kind of like Lenny Torres a year ago, and I had people ask me, well, what's happened to Lenny Torres? And he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Both are undersized right-handers who have a really quick arm who throw extremely high heat. Teams are avoiding these players because of the fear of injury is just so much higher with them. So Espino, who at some points was had top 10 talk, uh, I ended up putting him in the 30s because I do think he has a higher risk profile. The Indians basically said, forget your risk, we're rolling the dice. Um, a chance for three-plus pitches. The fastball is a 70, maybe an 80-grade fastball. He is physically kind of maxed out. You're not going to get him uh, to add. There's no more velocity coming. Uh, he's not going to start throwing 103. You know, he, he hits 100 now. Just be happy with that. Uh, his secondary stuff are both advanced. There's a lot of things he has that the Indians like. There is a lot of risk. Um, we'll see how the command and the control develop. Sometimes with guys like him, we see those come and go. But it is a high ceiling risk for the Indians. Um, he instantly takes over the role of highest ceiling pitcher in the Indian system. To me, that had been Ethan Hankins, but uh, on pure stuff, Espino stuff is better than Hankins. The other problem, though, is you know the Indians rolled the dice a year ago, went for those two high-profile players. Hankins has struggled with consistency and health since then. Torres has already had Tommy John, uh, so it has not worked out so far. You know, in five years, I could be eating my words. But it just comes down to the Indians rolled the dice and took a massive risk. I'm hoping it'll be around slot, maybe under slot. Uh, I'm really hoping they didn't just break the bank on him. But uh, by all accounts, he's a great kid. But, you know, that's the exact same thing we said about Will Benson, who is still in low A at this point. So uh, great kid is a bonus, but that's that shouldn't be part of the evaluation on the whole of things. So Espino, high ceiling. He's going to crack the Indians' top 10 prospects for sure interesting kid uh could move quickly for a prep arm because again he's not a kid really like okay he's got to add 40 pounds of muscle or he needs to uh add some weight he's 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 a thickly built kid and i don't mean fat i mean thickly built he's he's already kind of physically where he's going to get to so for him it's all about refinement and development and refinement in the second round the uh indians were sitting there and they took uh started a trend of uh, taking 17-year-old shortstops. This uh, Jordes Valdez, uh, there was some talk he could be a hard sign, so he could be an overslot player. I'm, again, hoping he's not, just because uh, offensively there is no profile right now. Uh, he's all defense. Some said that he could be you know, a potential gold glove defender at short. It's so hard to judge those things at this point. I do know when you watch him, it is clear he knows how to handle the position. He can stick there. He recently became a switch hitter, but he's better from the left side. We'll have to see how he develops. He was not one of those guys. I had him like in the 80s on my board just because offensively there's nothing there right now. You're just hoping you can develop and that natural tools will come. He's not a big kid either, so you're not expecting a whole lot offensively. The third round, the Indians took someone I mentioned on this very podcast. Remember me talking about Joe Naranjo on this podcast as one of those guys who stood out to me as someone the Indians would target. Well, they did. They took him in the third round. Um, Chance for above average plus hit tool. Chance for average to above average power at first base. Maybe outfield. He is very much an Indians type of kid. Recently turned 18. Good hit tool. Strong approach. Undersized. The Indians have always kind of liked guys who uh, don't fit the profile. Uh, Talking to my buddy Taylor Blake Ward, he just texted me on him and said, He's a guy all capital letters so 
if you know what that means, it means that he's, you know, that he's really got a lot of potential. I didn't have him in my top 101. There were some guys there. A little bit of an overdraft from my perspective, but, you know, that's just my perspective. Next, they came back with uh, another 17-year-old shortstop, uh, Christian Ky- uh, Cairo, son of Miguel Cairo, longtime major leaguer. Uh, this is a pick that could be overslot. Um, he's very small. He's very slight. I th- I would grade him as a backup. I mean, him and uh, Valdez are like clones of each other. Uh, both small, not much of a hit tool, both probably profile more as utility than starters. Um, we'll see what the value comes out, but Cairo was rumored to be a bit of a tough sign. Again, it's, uh, for most people, that's a solid value there. The value's okay for me, um, but especially as we, I'll go down through some of these other prospects they took, uh, it just seems... A bit of overkill and a heavy defense focus for the draft. Um, next up, Hunter Gaddis, a guy I wasn't huge on from Georgia State. Uh, I feel like I'm crapping on this draft. The Indians and I often don't see eye to eye. I'll just be honest. It's uh, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, uh, the old Cardinals. Uh, recently, the Cardinals and I aren't as much, but uh, those are the teams that I typically tend to line up more with. The Indians and I definitely uh, have different boards. Let's Let's put it that way. Uh, Hunter Gaddis is a between Gaddis and the tenth round pick Zach Hart. The Indians put a lot of value on the Cape this year. That much is clear. Gaddis, his stock was probably highest after his performance in the Cape. He looked quite good there. He's a big six foot six right hander. Uh, highest pick ever in Georgia State history. Probably a reliever for me. Um, good strikeout. Good walk rate. Home run rate exploded this year, which led to uh, his worst year in college. Again, in spite of his worst year in college, he's still the highest drafted player uh, from Georgia State at this point. And he would be kind of their last uh, big-name uh, player. He's the last one they would draft from like the MLB Top 200, for instance. In the sixth round, they take Jordan Brown. Stop me if you've heard this. He's uh, really young for the class. He's a 17-year-old shortstop. Oh, you have heard it twice before. Brown's the least likely to stick at shortstop. He's six foot three. He's very long, very lanky, two sport athlete. Uh, Taylor was telling me it's almost like he's too lanky. Like there should be some strength there. He's a strong kid, but it's like the length of his arms gets in the way of his swing at points. He needs refinement, but there are tools. There are reasons to like him. He's an upside athlete grab here, and uh, you know uh, either of uh, when you're when you're going to Junipero Serra, that's a good baseball program seventh round uh, another guy i said i think this is an indians classic indians pitcher that Xavion curry he was a starting pitcher at georgia tech uh missed a lot of bats doesn't walk anyone still just 20 years old won't be 21 until the end of july uh big not a big fastball solid fastball everything else is okay uh he's I, sooner you know we've seen with eli morgan they've given him a chance to stay uh, but Morgan had that awesome change with a fastball that could be in the low 90s. Curry doesn't have that uh, that stellar secondary pitch. They should just transition him. He's a potential bullpen arm and see if, you know, once you put him in the pen, he's not a starter anymore. If some of that velocity starts charting up. Uh, again, another guy, kind of a consistent theme we're seeing, is uh, very home run prone this year. 
Will Brennan is, in some respects, their most interesting pick on on day two. Uh, the Tribe Insider Twitter account, uh, they talked about it on the broadcast, if you didn't watch, but the Tribe Insider Twitter account also made this statement that he is a two-way player. The Indians specifically are looking at him as a two-way player, and that is uh, Will Brennan from Kansas State. Now, there's other reasons beyond that that make him interesting, and Jim Callis made a fantastic point that I fully agree with, that Will Brennan is the type of guy who could be a legitimate two-way player in the majors because um, most of these guys, when we look at them, you know, the Brandon McKays, eventually, like, his bat is falling behind his arm, so you're going to hold him up to wait for the bat to catch up? You know, uh, I wouldn't. You want to get your prospects up sooner than later. Will Brennan uh, was the hardest person to strike out in college baseball this year. Uh, Almost 19 at-bats for every one strikeout, just struck out 12 times. The Indians uh, took another guy who did that a few years ago, Ernie Clement, so that's something they're looking at. Brennan is a plus athlete. He played center field. He runs well. On top of not striking out much, he also walked over 10% of the time, so he does have a really good eye at the plate. He can run well. He plays center field. He can play all three spots. He's probably a fourth outfielder. So he's not going to be an everyday player, even at the best outcome of uh, his ceiling. As a pitcher, he's a lefty, which gives him a better chance to be a two-way, just because teams always need more lefties than they do righties. He's in the low 90s as a lefty. He doesn't really have much in terms of his secondary offerings. He was a control specialist, which we know the Indians like. Not able to miss bats. So you have a guy who, he's not going to be your closer. But he could be a loogie, while also being your fourth outfielder and being a pinch runner. So it's more the fact that you know he's uh, he could be a two-way player, kind of in the way that you have guys who are special teamers in football. It's like so he's gonna be a second or third left-hander for you. Hey, teams can always use that. He's gonna be a fourth outfielder who you know can go out there play all three spots, and he can be someone who comes off the bench to pinch run and being left-handed. You know, you face more right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers. So you put that all together, and you can say, oh, this guy could be a legitimate two-way player. It stacks up for that. So he was, in many respects, I thought the most interesting guy between, you know, the extreme low strikeout rate and just the tool set he had in place. Will Bartlett, in the ninth round, when they showed his picture on MLB TV, long, flowing, golden locks. He's up there for some of the best hair in the draft. Not uh, didn't get as much run as everyone else at IMG Academy. The Indians must have liked what they saw when they were scouting some other players down there. Uh, bigger than uh, Joe Naranjo, but a similar profile. Uh, the Indians announced him as a catcher. He did catch a little bit down there. Most reports on him, though, don't think he'll stick there. I say uh, Indians are making the right call, though. You send him out until he fails uh, because the value is so much higher catcher. Not as good of a hitter as Naranjo, where Naranjo could be like a a 60-hit, 55-power. Bartlett's probably more like 55-50, but very close. Um, I'll be curious to see the difference in money, because I don't think that there's, you know, uh, let's see, uh, Naranjo was pick 101, and Bartlett was pick 280. I'm not sure if there was, you know, the 179-player difference really between their talent levels. And then with that last selection on day two, the Indians took Zach Hart, which is a bit of an unusual pick for them because, I mean, I'll go into his profile, but he's he's purely a senior sign. Um, I don't think you can make any other case 
beyond that, the Indians have kind of avoided the senior signs over the years. And when they have taken a senior like Adam Scott a year ago, yes, they saved some money at that pick, but he was a priority senior sign. He got more than the usual five to 10 grand that a senior sign gets. I don't see Hart getting more than the five to 10 grand. He was a solid reliever in the Cape. His team won the championship. He got the strikeout um, in the championship game, striking out Spencer Torkelson. He was okay as the uh, as a starter up at Franklin Pierce. Uh, walk rate under three, strikeout rate around nine. But, you know, if you're looking at a, a player who you're drafting, if you want him to do better than that when they're pitching at the D2 level. Uh, so this is, again, this is more based on what he saw in the Cape than anything else. He is a four-year starter. Uh, it's there's some upside there. Maybe you think that uh, once he focuses on the pen, things will play up. But yeah, I expect him to be an under twenty thousand dollar signing. So when you look right through it all, um, you know maybe Brennan's around slot. I think Curry could be a little under slot. I think Jordan Brown could be right around slot or below. He wasn't a huge uh, name prospect. Uh, Zach Hart should be well below. Bartlett could be a little bit above. Uh, Gaddis maybe should be below. Cairo's probably going to be a little over. Naranjo should be a little below. Espino is maybe the full slot, but I mean that, that if he got the full slot at two point eight three million, that's a lot. Um, not a lot of guys get that much, so I wouldn't be surprised if he is a little under slot. I mean, even you know the most of the players Indians took a year ago, uh, like Bo Naylor was slightly under slot, and I would think Eordes could be slightly under slot as well. Um, the Indians should have money to spend on day three. Now, I made the mistake of tweeting out, oh, the Indians saved some money for day three. And uh, instead, uh, with all the negativity, everyone was like, oh, those cheap jerks. It's day three of the draft. You can spend up to 125000 I believe, on a player. Anything over that um, comes out of your pool. The Indians aren't cheap at the draft. I think last year they spent all the way up to a dollar short of the maximum amount they could spend which is pretty much the max they could spend without losing their first-round pick. They always go over it. They always pay the penalty. That is how they approach the draft. And people, other people are like, oh, what value are you going to find on day three? What are they going to spend that money on? It's like, well, Cody Allen was a day three pick. Uh, ben Heller was a day three pick. You may not remember him, but he's now in the Yankees' pen. There's a lot of guys who come out of day three. Uh, this is That is where you make your baseball team. Uh, I mean, if I just sat down and really looked at it and went through the Indians, I'm sure I could point out more examples uh, on the current squad. But very good players come out of the third day of the draft. This is where you really build the depth of your team and where you're going to excel. Um, having that extra money allows you to get uh, you know, a player who slid here, a player who slid there. There's always some interesting values. Uh, Adam Plutko was, a, was the 11th round pick uh, the year they took Clint Frazier. And I remember people thinking he was a top three-round player. The Indians probably had a deal in place. He got a decent amount of money from what they had saved, and they got him there. Uh, like I said, I think they have some money to play with here, and typically they do. Um, I am Corey Holland. I was blanking out. I believe that was like the player they went a little over with last year, who was the uh, outfielder from Texas. They're going to, you know, and especially like the top 15 rounds, typically all of those players sign. So when they go in tomorrow, we'll be looking at who they take in those rounds. Like I said, I think they have money to spend. The negativity, like like I said, the Indians and I don't have the same view on the draft, but there are 
picks are logical and I understand what they're doing. Some of the negativity I saw already on the draft is like, I don't get it. And it just, for some reason, the Cleveland Indians, the fans get so negative so quickly with this team. Uh, they had a bad offseason. They had a window that kind of might be over already and they didn't get a championship out of it. But at the same time, I mean, I can't help but, you know, the the long rope the Browns have gotten, the relative long rope the Cavs have gotten. Um, Things may not be ideal with the Cleveland Indians, but it is a well-run organization that I have 100% faith in outside of their manager. Um, I think people need to just take a few seconds and chill. Uh, You know, the Pirates, what, one postseason in the last how many years? The Indians have had a really good run. Yes, it only turned into one World Series. It's not the 90s Indians, but the 90s Indians are, you know, a unicorn. That is a very special core, and that's a run like that will probably never happen for another 100 years in Cleveland. That's just the sad truth of how baseball works. Um, But let's actually let these kids go out and see what they can do. Give them a chance to play. Uh, You know, the draft is incredibly hard. The Indians put in a lot of time and effort, and while it may not always match up, I think they do a strong job almost every year. So I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm going to be up in a few hours to uh, cover day three of the draft. Over on Indians Baseball Insider, um, I have a deal with them every year because that's where I got my start. I will be doing capsules on every single draft pick. So you can go over there and read up. I think they're free. I should probably look into that. I don't think they put them behind the paywall. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't think they've ever put maybe one or two years back in the day, but I'm pretty sure they are not behind a paywall that you can go and read up on every single player of the Indians draft. If you are curious, if nothing else, I'm going to dig out the stats on them. Uh, it's it's a, a big undertaking, but those, at least by the end of next week, by the end of the, by the weekend, I should say, will be all up, out, and over there. As always, thank you for listening. Um, I apologize again for the no-show yesterday. I honestly did not start stop writing until 7 in the morning. So I went to bed, uh, my phone died, and then I promptly overslept and missed the first round and a half on today. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was not the, the best of times, but it worked. We're through. We are on to day three. Tomorrow is the craziness, the uh, bam, bam, bam. It's an enjoyable time. You can follow me on Twitter at JeffMOBDraft. I'm going to be having lots of content tomorrow as well. Remember, you can subscribe on Google Play, the Himalaya app, iTunes, whatever you use. It's all fantastic for us. And as always, go Tribe.